happening now. Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, and Ron DeSantis, they are all hunting for votes here in New Hampshire, just hours after Trump's Iowa landslide, and exactly one week before this state's pivotal Republican primary. We're closing in on a CNN presidential town hall with one of the final three. Also tonight, former President Trump detours from the campaign from the campaign trail returning to court to face his accuser, E. Jean Carroll, again in a second defamation trial. And after two U.S. strikes against Iran-backed militants, the U.S. Military Central Command confirms a third retaliatory attack on Houthi rebel targets inside Yemen. Stand by for details on the mission and whether more strikes from the U.S. may be coming. Welcome to our viewers here in the United States and around the world. I'm Wolf Blitzer in New Hampshire, and you're in the Situation Room. We're live here in New Hampshire at New England College at the site of CNN's Republican presidential town hall with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He will take questions from voters and from me just three hours from now. Also, uh, DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Donald Trump, they are all converging on this state right now. It's the next crucial battleground after Donald Trump's sweeping victory in the Iowa caucuses. Let's go to CNN's Kristen Holmes. She's in Atkinson, New Hampshire for us, where Trump has an event later tonight. Kristen, Trump is expected to speak, I'm told, fairly soon. What's his message after his Iowa blowout? Well, Wolf, what we're expecting him to say is attacks on Nikki Haley. The thing to keep in mind here is that his team views Nikki Haley as the biggest threat when it comes to New Hampshire. One of the things we've been talking about is Nikki Haley saying that this is a two-person race. Well, when it comes to the state of New Hampshire, Donald Trump's team does believe it is a two-person race between them and Nikki Haley, and they are taking her on in two ways. One, they are trying to shore up their conservative support. They are doing that by airing ads that hit Haley on immigration. They believe this is a key issue for Republican voters. Now, they're also targeting moderates, independents, left-leaning independents who they think might come out for Haley with ads attacking her on Social Security and Medicare. Medicare. But one thing that is clear, Donald Trump is ready to take Haley on. So it's now off to New Hampshire, a great place. We won it last time. Tonight, Donald Trump back on the campaign trail in New Hampshire after a commanding performance in the Iowa caucuses, putting the former president one step closer to the Republican nomination and a potential rematch with President Joe Biden. And I really think this is time now for everybody, our country, to come together. We want to come together. Before heading to the Granite State, the GOP frontrunner making a detour to a New York courtroom as he balances his political and legal battles. I go to a lot of courthouses because of Biden, because they're using that for election interference. As the race moves to New Hampshire, Trump's campaign is paying close attention to Nikki Haley's rise in the polls and sharpening their attacks on Haley's immigration record. Haley's weakness puts us in grave danger. And her position on reforming Social Security. We change retirement age to reflect life expectancy. Despite a third-place finish in Iowa, Haley is making the argument the GOP primary is a two-person contest between her and the former president. Now, when we know it's a head-to-head, -head, you heard me last night say, look, we have a choice. Are we going to do more of the same 
are we going to go forward? And more of the same is not just Donald Trump, it's Joe Biden. Both of them are exactly the same. Haley echoing that message in a new television ad in the Granite State. The two most disliked politicians in America, Trump and Biden, both are consumed by chaos, negativity, and grievances of the past. On the heels of his second place showing in Iowa, Ron DeSantis hitting the campaign trail in Haley's home state of South Carolina before making his way to New Hampshire. Haley, look, she was governor here for six years. Can you name major achievements under her tenure? I mean, tell me if there are, because she hasn't been able to do it. The Florida governor criticizing Haley for refusing to accept an invitation to debate in New Hampshire before next week's primary. They basically have her hermetically sealed because, you know, she's got this problem with ballistic podiatry, shooting herself in the foot all the time. But Haley insisting she's only interested in a debate with Trump. That's who I'm running against. That's who I want. That's at the end of the day, he's the front runner. He's the one that I'm seven points away from. He's the one that we're fighting for. There is nobody else I need to debate. Now, Donald Trump has given no indication that he wants to debate anyone ahead of a general election. And thus, ABC has canceled that debate right ahead of the primary. Kristen Holmes reporting for us. Kristen, thanks for that update. Appreciate it very, very much. I want to bring in our guests to break down what's going on here in New Hampshire and in the states uh, that follow. Our political experts are standing by. And Jamie Gangel, I'll start with you. Uh, first of all, what do you make of Kristen's reporting that Trump's campaign right now is trying to blunt Haley's rise in New Hampshire, even after his major, very impressive win in Iowa? Well, they clearly see her as a threat, Wolf. And, and let's face it, wouldn't we be surprised if Donald Trump didn't do this? This is classic Trump playbook, attack, attack, attack. He wants this to be over as soon as possible. He doesn't want to take any chances because, let's face it, even though she came in third, Haley did do better in Iowa than uh, was expected. And New Hampshire is not Iowa. So in, until he gets uh, everybody else out of the race, this is going to be Donald Trump's strategy. Wolf. SC Cup, let me bring you into this conversation. On this canceled New Hampshire debate that was supposed to be taking place this week, Haley is insisting it's now a two-person race between her and Trump. But is that true? Well, let me tell you, I spoke to the Haley campaign yesterday morning in the early hours, well before the caucuses had started, and they said they were already looking past Ron DeSantis. So this was the plan, regardless of how they came out of Iowa. And because she came out of Iowa so close with Ron DeSantis, that has a tinge of credibility to it, that she can kind of look past him, knowing that New Hampshire and South Carolina are not going to be good for him. And yeah, I mean, she wants to she wants to put Ron DeSantis in the rear view, just like Trump wants to put the both of them in the rear view. And she wants to take on the front runner. She's done a lot of she's done a lot of work to get here and to be one of the last sort of two two people standing. She wants she wants to make it to the big show. Yeah, she certainly does. Uh, Bakari Sellers, Nikki Haley made some stunning comments on Fox earlier today after her controversy over not naming slavery as the cause of the Civil War. I want you to listen to this. Listen to this. 
We're not a racist country, Brian. We've never been a racist country. Our goal is to make sure that today is better than yesterday. Are we perfect? No. But our goal is to always make sure we try and be more perfect every day that we can. I know I faced racism when I was growing up, but I can tell you today is a lot better than it was then. Her campaign is doubling down, uh, saying, and I'm quoting now, America has always had racism, but America has never been a racist country. The liberal media always fails to get that distinction. Uh, but does any of that even make any sense to you? What's your reaction? No, it doesn't make sense to me, Wolf. And the fact is, there's no distinction. I think that's what happens with Nikki Haley when she has moments such as these. She becomes somewhat like Icarus and that she flies too close to the sun. She's not ready uh, for this limelight because she trips and falls over things that are so simple. Um, is America today better than it was yesterday? Unquestionably. Anybody who's intellectually honest will tell you that we've made a great deal of progress in this country, undoubtedly, because you have to give credit to those people whose shoulders we stand upon. But the fact is, we this country uh, does have a history with racism that we have not yet dealt with. The fact of the matter is Nikki Haley knows this. It was a racist individual that walked into a church and killed nine people. It's racism that, that black women are three times more likely to die during childbirth than white women. It's racism that you have these structures of inequity and inequality that are pervasive right here in South Carolina. And so for Nikki not being able to articulate that, this is when she gets too cute by half and people and independents want to support her. Then they begin to question whether or not she's ready for the big time. Wolf, can I just uh, can I just say? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say, first of all, she acknowledged within that clip that racism exists and she's faced it. Uh, Bakari, as you said, she knows about it. It was happened in her backyard. But if voters need their presidential candidate to say that America is a racist country, well, they have no one to vote for because just a year and a half ago, Joe Biden said the same exact thing. Um, I don't think it's all that controversial to say, of course there is racism, of course there are examples of racism and even systemic racism we all need to address, but but maybe America is not on the whole a racist country. It's not all that controversial, actually. It's just more nuanced. Well, what's controversial, Essie, uh, is when she, hold on a minute, let me just, let me just point out what was controversial uh, to those of us who followed American history, know a little bit about American history, when she said, we've never been a racist country. That was the controversial line. It jumped out at me. Doesn't she remember all the segregated schools, the movie theaters, uh, the restaurants, all of this, the segregation that existed? That of was course. pretty racist. Of course. And I don't know how much time she has to, to give a history lesson every time she's asked this question. Joe Biden couldn't do it either. Joe Biden talked about Jim Crow, but also said, this is not a racist country. I think if we're applying these standards, we have to apply them fairly. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a tremendous improvement over the years, but, but uh, going back when she said, we've never been a racist country, that's clearly a false statement. Guys, everybody stand by. We're gonna have a lot more coming up. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're gonna continue our special coverage right now. Just ahead, we'll have more on the 2024 race. Larry Hogan, the former Republican governor of Maryland, now a Nikki Haley supporter, is joining us. He's here. He's standing by for a live interview. We'll do that. But first, from the campaign trail to yet another trial. Donald Trump in court today as the jury is selected for his second defamation suit brought by E. Jean Carroll. Stay with us. 
you're in the situation. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. In New York, Eugene Carroll's second defamation trial against Donald Trump is getting underway. The former president in attendance today for jury selection and opening statements. CNN's Kara Scannell is joining us from New York right now. She's got details. So, Kara, what happened inside court today? Well, Wolf, it was the first time E. Jean Carroll and Donald Trump had been in the same room for in decades. And Trump was sitting just one table away from E. Jean Carroll, though it didn't appear that they made eye contact at all during the several hours that he was there in court. Trump sat through all of jury selection until a jury of nine men and women were impaneled. And then they went to opening statements. E. Jean Carroll's attorney, Sean Crowley, was up first. She had told the jury that as a result of Trump's statements in 2019, denying Carroll's allegation that he raped her in a department store in the mid 90s, saying that she wasn't his type, and also saying that she made up the story to make pros to get to better the sales of her book that she had just released. She said that those statements scared Carol, that she received numerous threatening emails and communications from Trump supporters, and that her career had suffered. She said, and she said that Donald Trump must be stopped. And that was important in this case for this jury to find in terms of damage. She said, while sitting in the courtroom today, there were 22 posts just today. Think about that when you consider how much money it will take Donald Trump to stop. Now, Donald Trump's attorney, Alina Haba, gave her opening statement, and she told the jury that Carol wanted the attention. She had seeking fame, that she welcomed this. And she was saying that Donald Trump was just defending himself. She said that, that of Carol, her career has prospered. She wants President Trump to pay for the mean tweets. Now, this this case went before a jury last year for statements that Trump had made in 2022. A jury found Trump liable for sexual assault and defamation. The judge overseeing this said that these statements in 2022 were nearly identical to the ones in 2019. So the issue of defamation is not on the table for the jury. It is just up for them to decide how much in damages, if any, former president should pay E. Jean Carroll. Everyone will be back in court tomorrow. I'm curious, Kara, how will this trial unfold in the coming days? Could we hear, for example, directly from E. Jean Carroll or potentially from Trump himself? Yeah, E. Jean Carroll is set to testify in this case tomorrow. Her lawyers also intend to call an expert on reputation and damages that they will have testify as well. Now, Trump's attorneys say that he wants to testify and take the stand. Of course, Donald Trump's decision on that is always fluid. In the civil fraud trial, he said he was going to take the stand a second time, and he never did. So it remains to be seen if he will testify. But the judge has already outlined what Trump could testify about, saying it must be related to the damages. He cannot deny raping Carroll. He cannot deny knowing her. So if he, if he does take the stand, it will be limited in what he can say. Wolf. All right, Kara, thank you very much. Kara Scannell reporting for us. I want to get some more from our legal and our political experts who are watching all of this unfold right now. Ellie Honig, let me start with you. Uh, what do today's opening arguments tell you about the possible damages Trump could face? 
Well, Wolf, I think Donald Trump's defense argument here is remarkably risky, potentially even reckless, and it could backfire quite badly here. Let's remember, what this jury is deciding is not whether Donald Trump sexually assaulted and defamed E. Jean Carroll. The prior jury already found that. All this one is deciding is how much money Donald Trump has to pay now. This is a jury of nine ordinary New Yorkers. And essentially what Donald Trump's team is arguing here is that by defaming her, as the prior jury found, he's essentially done her a favor. Not only did he not harm her, Trump's team argues, but he actually helped her reputation, her economics. And I think that's a very risky argument to make. Would not surprise me at all to see this jury reject that. Gloria Borger, uh, Trump chose to be there today. Uh, interesting, but he didn't s speak outside the courtroom as he has done on several other occasions when he was tending uh, legal trials against him. So why did he feel it was still important to be there and how much did he actually benefit from this? You know, it's really hard to know. He probably didn't speak because he's being accused of defamation and what he would say would probably be more defamation. He has decided to attend these cases, whether or not he speaks, because it's part of his campaign. And we've been talking about this a lot, you know, the courthouse campaign. And I think he shows up because it's part of his shtick about being a victim and how the, the judicial system is being used against him with all kinds of false charges. And so I think this is just one more Thing. He says he wants to testify. He always says he wants to testify. We'll see if that if that actually happens. But, you know, this has become an important part of their political theory of the case in terms of winning the presidency or at least winning the primaries. Yeah, he thinks it's a big deal. Uh, Ellie, uh, you've appeared before this judge many times. Uh, Trump, uh, as we've been noting, he's expected, we don't know for sure, but he's expected to testify. But is he going to get away with theatrics in front of this judge whom you know? Absolutely not, Wolf. This is the wrong judge for theatrics for spectacle. This is Judge Lewis Kaplan in the federal courthouse in Manhattan. Of all the judges in that courthouse, Judge Kaplan may exercise the tightest control over his courtroom. He is deeply experienced. He is no nonsense. Nobody gets away with any circus-like behavior. I've been there. Take my word for it. This man controls his courtroom. Also, as we said before, the judge has set very narrow parameters on what Donald Trump can and cannot say. Donald Trump cannot get up there and deny that he sexually assaulted E. Jean Carroll, cannot deny that he defamed her. All he can do is make arguments about how much she's been damaged. And that doesn't leave him with much, if anything, of substance to say. So I know the expectation, the reporting is he may testify or he's expected to testify. I'm a little bit skeptical about that. Let's see what happens when push comes to shove on Monday. We shall see. Uh, Gloria, knowing Trump is facing damages for sexual abuse and defamation, does that hurt him in a general, in a general election? Well, you know, we know it hasn't hurt him in the primary so far. Uh, and we see that in the polling, that most Republicans believe these cases are rigged against him. I think the general election is a different story. I think um, when, you, when you're facing uh, so many felony counts, uh, you know, and if you are convicted, the polls show that that will make a difference to many voters, a conviction. 
So, you know, we, we have to see. So far, this has worked to his advantage. But again, this is, is a selective audience, which is a Republican primary audience. As far as the general election is concerned, I think it also depends on how Joe Biden uses it against Donald Trump. Does he talk about it more certainly than Nikki Haley or DeSantis ever did? And I would guarantee you that, that Biden will. I suspect you're absolutely right. Guys, thank you very, very much. Important conversation indeed. Coming up, more from New Hampshire as uh, the Republican presidential campaign moves on after Donald Trump's crushing win in Iowa. We'll get reaction from voters and from a key Nikki Haley supporter, the former Maryland Republican governor, Larry Hogan. We're back with more of our special coverage from New Hampshire right now as the race for the Republican presidential nomination enters a critical new stage. Our live town hall with Ron DeSantis begins in less than three hours. But first, let's get an update right now from CNN's Omar Jimenez. He's on the ground in Manchester, New Hampshire for us. Omar, we just found out that the three Republican candidates won't be facing off in a debate later this week. Update our viewers. Yeah, well, so this is actually part of a crucial bottom line that Nikki Haley painted earlier today, saying that she is not going to appear on a debate stage unless that debate stage includes former President Trump. Well, the deadline that was uh, put out passed today. Haley didn't sign up. Former President Trump, unsurprisingly, did not sign up as he has not participated in any debates to this point. And Ron DeSantis, of course, would not participate unless there were others on the stage with them. So now that debate process seems to have collapsed. And it is an indication politically of where Nikki Haley, at the very least, believes she is. She believes at, that this is now a two-person race, despite finishing third in Iowa. Moving forward, she believes it's a two-person race, discounting DeSantis, and she believes that if she that she should be debating the person that she's competing against, which she sees as only Trump. And Omar, I know you had a chance to speak to some undecided New Hampshire voters today. What did they say about the impact of Iowa's results on the New Hampshire primary? Look, some of them were surprised at how dominant Trump's performance was uh, in Iowa, taking 98 out of 99 counties. That said, they don't think it's going to influence their decision here. Now, Trump could still very well take the state. He's led in polls, despite uh, how close Nikki Haley has been in some of them. But take a listen to what they told us today about how they're processing things moving forward. Did Trump's win in Iowa surprise you in any way? Does it motivate you in any way? It surprised me a little bit, yeah. Why did it surprise you? Um, just because I just, you know, with all this, you know, allegations and all that, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, I'm on a fence. I was a little surprised at the results to see the, uh, to see the level of popularity given he hadn't attended any of the events or been involved in any of the debates, etc. So, would have liked to see a little more participation from him. I ruled him out in the primary. But, you know, if he were to win the nomination, then he'd be ruled back in because I'm tired. You, you've got him over Biden. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, others weren't surprised, but are excited about the opportunity to do something about it. And remember, Wolf, here in New Hampshire, the voting population is much different than Iowa, much more moderates here in New Hampshire. And that's a dynamic Nikki Haley, at the very least, is hoping to take advantage of.
Yeah, she certainly is. Omar Jimenez in Manchester, New Hampshire for us. Omar, thank you very much. Joining us now, the former Maryland Republican governor, Larry Hogan. Uh, he's endorsed Nikki Haley for president. Governor, thank you so much for joining us. As you know, Haley is declaring this already to be a two-person race between her and Trump. But you know she finished third in Iowa, two points behind DeSantis and 30 points behind Trump. So how is this a two-person race? Well, Wolf, I, I don't think anyone was really that surprised. I certainly wasn't surprised about the results. Everybody expected Donald Trump to have a big win in Iowa. But, you know, before, uh, it's really not representative of what's going to happen in New Hampshire at all. Be before Iowa, the polls were showing Nikki Haley down single digits in second place, Ron DeSantis down in, uh, in single digits, rather than down sin single digits. And a poll came out today that shows the race tied in New Hampshire at 40 for Trump, 40 for Haley, and 4% for Ron DeSantis. So I absolutely do believe that the, you know, Iowa does a good job of kind of thinning the herd. And that's exactly what they did. I think uh, New Hampshire is going to be uh, a, a real battle between Haley and Trump. Yeah, you make a fair point. Haley may be within striking distance of Trump by here in New Hampshire, but she's far behind, uh, according to the polls, in her home state of South Carolina right now, which is next after New Hampshire. So how is this not just a one-person race uh, against Trump? Well, I think, uh, with all due respect to uh, the other candidates, I think it's sort of the end of the road for them. I mean, look, I, she's still in second place in South Carolina, and I think if she comes out with a, a, a good uh, showing or first place or a very close second place in New Hampshire, then that gives her the momentum, the excitement, uh, the attention that carries her back to her home state of South Carolina, where I think maybe she can see some improvement and maybe change the dynamic. Haley's appeal has mostly been with uh, what we call more moderate voters, but Trump's base, the majority, clearly the majority of the Republican primary contest right now is very conservative and evangelical. So how does Haley overcome that? Well, the, 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 uh, it's certainly that was the case in, in Iowa. I'm not sure that's the case in New Hampshire or the whole rest of the country. And look, I'm in, it's obviously Trump's race to lose and everybody just assumes he's the nominee. I'm just not ready to give up quite yet. I think, uh, you know, about half of the Republican voters do not want to vote for Donald Trump. So half of them, half of them really do and half don't. Uh, it, they just had a lot of candidates to choose from. And up until up until yesterday, we had, uh, you know, they started to weed out a little bit over the past couple of weeks. But uh, there were about 11 candidates. And now, really, there's only one that can possibly beat Donald Trump, and that's Nikki Haley. And uh, there are about 50 percent of the people that don't want Trump. They better get that's that's their choice, really. I mean, instead of splitting up the vote like they did in uh, 2016, uh, it's time to, uh, you know, to unite behind the one that actually has a chance to take them on. Governor, I want you to get your reaction to some uh, stunning comments that uh, Nikki Haley made on Fox earlier today after her controversy over not saying slavery was the cause of the Civil War. Listen to this. I'll play the clip again. We're not a racist country, Brian. We've never been a racist country. Our goal is to make sure that today is better than yesterday. Are we perfect? No. But our goal is to always make sure we try and be more perfect every day that we can. I know I faced racism when I was growing up, but I can tell you today is a lot better than it was then. 
Her campaign doubled down, saying America always had racism, but has never been a racist country. So how do you explain Haley's comments? Well, I actually agree with Haley's comments. I mean, I, I, I think we certainly had some terrible problems with racism in our country, particularly in the past. Um, but we've, I don't believe we, ha- we, we are, by definition, a racist country. And I, I, I don't think, you know, you, know you, can't, you can't say that America is a racist country. I, I, I agree with her position. So I think you're making a big deal out of nothing. I think Bi- Joe Biden has said the exact same thing. Um, look, we're, we've had some terrible oh, no, problems. I think it was a, a, was when she a, a poor choice of never, words when she, was when she didn't talk got... about slavery. <laughs> but this is not the same thing. This is, uh, I agree with her that America is not a racist country. I, I, it may not be a racist country today, but do you believe it was never a racist country, even when there was segregation in schools, in theaters, in restaurants, and so much was going well, on? Well, if there were terrible problems with racism and there certainly was a lot of there were a lot of racists in the country that doesn't make the uh, yeah, I don't think you can label a country as racist just because of, you know, we had some terrible things in our past and a lot of people that, uh, you know, we've, we I think we've made a lot of progress, but I don't think you could ever label the country as a racist country. No, we've certainly made a lot of progress and uh, not necessarily a racist country today, but historically it was a racist country. I think you agree, right? Well, I wouldn't label it that way. There was, certainly we had terrible racism in America and we're in much better shape than we used to be. All right, Governor, I'm going to leave it on that point. Uh, Governor Larry Hogan, uh, thank you so much for joining us. To our viewers, be sure to stay thank with you, CNN for our live, uh, our live Republican presidential town hall. That's coming up in a few hours with Ron DeSantis. I'll moderate the discussion as voters here in New Hampshire ask the governor their questions. It all begins 9 p.m. Eastern, only here on CNN. And just ahead, we're following other, other very important breaking news we're following including stories involving the U.S. military launching yet a third round of strikes against Houthi targets in Yemen. This war is clearly escalating. We'll be right back. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. We're back live here in New Hampshire, just ahead of our town hall with presidential candidate Ron DeSantis later tonight. But we're also following other important news developing right now, including U.S. military forces launching more strikes against Houthi targets in Yemen. CNN Pentagon correspondent uh, Oren Lieberman is joining us right now. He's tracking all of these developments. Oren, first of all, what can you tell us? Well, if this is the third time in the past several days that we've seen the U.S. conduct strikes in Yemen, targeting the Iranian proxy, the Houthis. This time, much smaller than the initial round of strikes we saw on Thursday night DC time. Here, U.S. Central Command says they went after Houthi anti-ship ballistic missiles that were preparing to be launched and that posed an imminent threat to international shipping lanes. But the U.S. hasn't destroyed all of the Houthis' military capability. In fact, several hours after these strikes destroyed the anti-ship ballistic missiles, 
missiles, the Houthis launched another missile, damaging a Maltese flag bulk carrier. It was minor damage, and the ship continued on its way, but that shows you the threat the Houthis still pose. And it's also worth noting that on Monday, another Houthi anti-ship ballistic missile struck a U.S.-owned and operated vessel for what appears to be the first time over the course of the past several months. That also uh, suffered light damage and was able to continue on its way. But again, this is the threat the Houthis pose to one of the world's most critical international waterways. In fact, the U.S. Transportation Department warning U.S. flagged as well as U.S. owned vessels to avoid the Red Sea at this time because of that threat. Yeah, this conflict clearly escalating right now. Oren Lieberman at the Pentagon. Thank you very much for that update. We're watching it closely. Coming up, President Biden summoning congressional leaders to the White House uh, for a last-minute meeting. We'll have a live report on the wrangling that's going on right now to try to desperately avoid a U.S. government shutdown just ahead of Friday's deadline. A brutal Arctic blast is bringing record low temperatures across a very large swath of the United States, leaving tens of millions of people under winter weather alerts right now. Our meteorologist, Elisa Rafa, is joining us from the CNN Weather Center right now. Elisa, how dangerous are these uh, conditions right now and what else is actually in store? I mean, we're talking about temperatures so cold you can get frostbite in minutes. And then on top of this, we're talking about feet of snow off the Great Lakes for some cities like Buffalo. All of the blues here are showing where that Arctic air is plunging south. It's one degree right now in Chicago. You've got temperatures at and below freezing, making it all the way down to New Orleans and Houston, a huge area with temperatures below freezing. We actually broke snow droughts today. Finally, D.C., Baltimore, Philly, New York all got an inch of snow, and they haven't seen that in two years over 700 days. You can see that swath of the snow that came through today. It's exiting New England as we go through the next couple of hours. But you can see the lake effect snow machine pumping near Buffalo as we have lake effect snow warnings in effect for one, two, three feet of snow as we go through the next couple of days. Those warnings last until Thursday as the snow continues to pile on. What's happening is, is we have lakes that don't have ice cover. So the water is relatively warmer than that Arctic air that's coming in over it. That's going to pump that lake effect snow machine. And like I mentioned, we're looking at one, two, three feet of snow. Wolf. Yeah, Elisa Rafa reporting for us. Elisa, thank you very, very much for that update. I want to get an update right now on the looming government shutdown, which potentially could hit Washington in under four days if U.S. lawmakers don't pass a short-term extension. This, as President Biden now invites congressional leaders to the White House for talks on funding for Ukraine, Israel, and the border. Our chief congressional correspondent, Manu Raju, is joining us right now. He's got details. Manu, does this meeting at the White House mean the two sides are any closer or actually farther apart from a deal? Well, well, right now, Congress is scrambling to end a mess of its own making, that a potential government shutdown by the end of the day on Friday. There is optimism that ultimately Congress will avert a government shutdown because of a deal that was reached by Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, and the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, to, for a short-term extension of government funding until early March. This after Congress time and again has continued to kick the can down the road. Instead of passing annual funding bills that were expected to be approved at the beginning of the fiscal 
fiscal year by October 1st, continually improving short-term increase after short-term increase and pushing it now down until March. This has caused significant blowback in the ranks. Remember, in the House, Kevin McCarthy, the then-House Speaker, was pushed out after he agreed to move forward with a short-term funding increase with the support of Democrats that did not have spending cuts. Ultimately, then Mike Johnson came, took the reins. He vowed to move forward and not pass any more short-term spending bills. What did he ultimately do? Move forward the short-term spending bill because the fact of the shutdown was looming. That has caused concern with the, on the right, others demanding even deeper spending cuts than what Johnson was able to secure in this go-round. But at the moment, Wolf, there is an expectation that on Thursday, senators will approve this short-term increase, short-term extension. Then the House will move on Friday, narrowly averting a government shutdown for now. But they'll be right back at it on Friday as other huge issues loom, like funding for Ukraine, dealing with the border crisis, funding for Israel, all moving on a separate track and all issues that still have not been resolved but will be discussed at the White House tomorrow. Wolf. Yeah, and funding for Ukraine as well. Manu Raju, you're going to be a busy guy. Thank you very, very much for that update. Coming up, a suspected serial killer is charged with the murder of a fourth woman. We're going to tell you how evidence from a belt, from a belt buckle, links him to this case. A suspected serial killer is charged with the murder of a fourth woman whose remains uh, were discovered on Long Island's Gilgo Beach more than a decade ago. CNN's Gene Cazares is following the story for us. Gene, uh, the indictment today, it revealed how a single strand of hair was apparently a key part of the new charges. That's right. That's exactly right. And forensics is so important in our, our jurisprudence and as they prosecute trials today. And, and what it is was her remains were bound by three different belts. And there was a belt buckle on one of the belts and there was a hair. But early on, we learned that hair was damaged. They could not find a profile on the hair. So we learned today they had to do more sophisticated testing on that hair. And what they found was that it was a female's hair. Well, they were able to get the DNA of Asa Ellerup, who was the wife of Rex Huerman. And it is consistent with that of Asa Ellerup. But what it does is it cre creates a connection to the defendant himself. And by the way, Asa Ellerup was out of town with the kids when Maureen Brainerd Barnes was murdered, which is our fourth victim now charged, and also the other three. Today, when court was finished, the district attorney spoke outside. This is a very important moment, he believes. Take a listen. This indictment marks a change in the investigation. The grand jury investigation of the so-called Gilgo Four is over. It has been concluded. Uh, and we will proceed with those cases uh, in court. And again, we look forward to proving the allegations. Now, it doesn't happen all the time, but Maureen's family, they were in court today. Her sister and her daughter, they spoke after court. Losing Maureen has became a wound that never truly heals. It remains a part of me. One other piece of actually forensic evidence also we learned today, uh, Maureen had a cell phone and Rex Huerman had, according to legal documents, burner phones, which he corresponded with young women with. And there was in 2007, 16 interactions on the burner phone with the cell phone of Maureen. 
Finally, in July 2007, everything stopped. But a few days later, someone had that cell phone. It wasn't her family. And they started checking her own voicemail to see what voicemails they had. They say also that places Rex Human because it was done in Long Island, exactly where he lived. So, Jean, what is the suspect's attorney saying about these new charges? Well, the defense pleaded not guilty in court today, and they also spoke after court. They think that a lot of this evidence is flimsy. The forensic testing wasn't done correctly. They believe that the burner phone and the cell phones is only pinging from a tower, and that doesn't mean it's those actual phones. The district attorney says there's documentation to the otherwise. Gene Kassar is reporting for us. Thank you very much for that update. And to our viewers, thanks very much for watching. I'm Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. Important note, I'll be back later tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, for our CNN Town Hall with Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis uh, live here uh, in New Hampshire. Until then, thanks very much for watching. Aaron Burnett out front starts right now. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.